welcome to the Nerd Party. Hi, this is Nick Anastasiu, story editor on Star Wars The Clone Wars and Star Wars Bad Batch. And you are listening to Aggressive Negotiations. to Aggressive Negotiations coming at you from somewhere outside Harishi Maze, and I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as he is every single week, the one and only incredibly brilliant Jedi Master, John Mills. And don't tell anybody I said that. I'm, no, no, see, the original Jedi Master, John Mills, was not brilliant. I am his clone, John Mills, and uh, the cloning... The, com- okay. the Kaminoans tweaked everything, and that's what made me brilliant. Also uh, cost ah. me all of my hair, though. The original John Mills had mm. hair, sadly. Mm. You know, you got to make a trade-off, right? So, You know, would you rather have hair or be brilliant? It's, you know, it's, it's not really a tough call, if you ask me. I don't know. It's a tougher call than you think. Really a tougher call than you think. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are ex- so excited, as always, to be here to talk some Star Wars with you this week. I've... I've really excited because I've actually got a surprise question for John, which I I love when we surprise one another. But before we do that, of course, you could find us wherever podcasts can be listened to because you're listening to us. Uh, And so we'd appreciate it if you just subscribe so you get the podcast as soon as it drops uh, each of the episodes. But we'd also appreciate it if you would share us with your friends. You know, word of mouth is the best way to have a podcast grow. So if you like us in the sea of never-ending Star Wars podcasts, Share us out on social media or just tell your friends about Aggressive Negotiations. On social media, you can also follow us at The Jedi Masters. And we would appreciate it is, you know, share our shows when you you see them come across your feed uh, because you're following us. You can also find the entire network at Join Nerd Party or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the nerd party with the entire network. The entire network is also housed online at thenerdparty.com, where you can see every single show that we're doing here on the network. And last but not least, give us a good old star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. That way, you know, with all those strange tabulations that they do with how podcasts get ranked there, we'll be higher in the feed. So please do that. We would really appreciate it. Uh, But John, so... I know that both you and I were able to go see Return of the Jedi in mm. theaters for its 40th anniversary. Ooh, now I'm super intrigued what this question's going to be. I know. Can't I wait. know. And so as I'm watching the film, something kind of percolates in my brain about Obi-Wan Kenobi, the series. Okay. And it's this. So in Return of the Jedi, of course, we we learn that there are parts of the story that Luke doesn't know, right? Because nobody's told him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, instead of sitting down and telling him a four-hour story or whatever, you know, he's just been given the gist. And it made me think... You know, one of the things about the Obi-Wan Kenobi series that felt kind of like a stickler for me was the fact that Kenobi and Vader 
have this showdown, uh, and Obi-Wan, well, I mean, let's be honest, kicks Vader's ass in the end, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that kind of feeling like a little bit of a stickler to me. Mm-hmm. And I think to you as well. Mm-hmm. So my thought process there, it could be a stickler, but I was also thinking in Star Wars, not everybody knows all the stories. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking to myself, this feels like one of those things that Anakin as Vader would have experienced and he would have told nobody about and would basically have pretended like it never happened. And so that nobody knew what happened between him and and Obi-Wan in the fight, and he never really talks about the fact that it was Obi-Wan to anyone, and so everybody then would just assume, by the time we get to A New Hope, oh, he must be dead by now. And that really kind of stuck with me because it just reminded me that, yes, we who watch everything, of course, we know every part of the story, but not every character in the Star Wars series knows everything that's ever happened in the Star Wars universe. And so that was just something that helped me kind of almost think, well, well, not almost, but think that, well, that makes a lot of sense as to how this could kind of fit in uh, with the overall saga and not necessarily interrupt anything or make anything not work i'll come at it from two different angles here one i agree with you absolutely i think that the problem with the way that we as an audience have been trained by movies as a whole is there's a transference factor that when a character learns it well when the audience learns it we've been trained to immediately presume everybody else knows it too Case in point, and I think it's it's a it's a very very pertinent example in the Breakfast Club. Um, Judd Nelson's character has a very uh, humanizing moment that happens, and then at the end, he and the Molly Ringwald character get together, and we as the audience are okay with it because we've seen him have this humanizing moment. But if you think about it for a second, she never witnessed it. And we never saw him tell her. We never saw her discover it. But we still transfer it. And we still say it happened because we witnessed it. The way that works against an audience is we say, well, we witnessed this. Obviously, these other characters know it as well. And to your point, not necessarily. So I think that's a completely valid, I think it's a great read of it. Vader kept this to himself. Vader never said... Oh, hey, I fought Obi-Wan. Hey, Tarkin. You know, it's not like they were sitting down in the Death Star canteen and Vader's like, well, you know, there was one time where I fought Obi-Wan and he kind of mopped the floor with me. I mean, it's a I little just embarrassing. Imagine, you remember in Lego Star Wars where uh, the the Emperor's like, uh, let's play the tape. And they watch uh, uh, right. Vader go, I have you now. Yep. <laughs> and then like, ah, and he's like, let's rewind that. Right. I have you now. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, 
Well, the, unfortunately, that makes me start thinking of the robot chicken emperor stuff, and that's even better. Yes, that, and well, and that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like this idea that yeah. again, Who's everybody's they? just automatic. <laughs> Yeah, I'm aware of everything. Dude, I've, I haven't even finished paying that off yet. Do you have any idea what this is going to do to my credit? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, just build another one. Um, <laughs> but my sticking point for it, because now that we've opened this up, and I think we've talked about this on 602 Club when we talked about the series or something like that, I always subscribed in my brain that Obi-Wan and Vader had met between the trilogies because Vader says Obi-Wan once thought as you do. Exactly. Exactly. My question is with the Obi-Wan series and now rewatching Return of the Jedi, do you think, A, that the Obi-Wan series we got, do you believe that Vader got that impression from Obi-Wan? Or B, do you think that that's our opening for another Obi-Wan season is to have Obi-Wan find out he's alive and go over and say, wait, maybe I should just try to redeem him. Tables turn, Vader mops the floor with Obi-Wan, and that's why everybody thinks that Obi-Wan must be dead. I think it is interesting, and and I, I do wish that I had gone back, and I apologize to the listeners for not going back and just rewatching that final fight between them. But I think the way it is written is that that final fight, Anakin is very clear that there is no salvation for him. Mm-hmm. That that the choice that he has made is the choice that he's made, and he's sticking with it. And so it is in that moment that, you know, Obi-Wan feels uh, that, he can do no more for Anakin other than beat him and escape so that when the time comes, he's ready to train Luke. Um, and so, and, and that I think is, is an interesting place because I, I you know, it, it does leave a lot of ambiguity to, you know, why wouldn't, why wouldn't, Obi-Wan just kill Vader at the time. And the more that I've thought about that question as well has led me to think if Obi-Wan had done that, it exposes himself very clearly to the Emperor. He would know that Vader has died. And wouldn't that mean that then that the Emperor would very ardently be then searching for another apprentice and then that put a target maybe on Leia and Luke's back much sooner than they would ever be ready for and mm. or any other possible Jedi that he could, you know, corrupt um, that might be left. And so therefore, you know, Obi-Wan is trusting in the fact that the force and the plan that he and Yoda have is to wait until Luke is ready. Which, of course, I, I don't know how differently it plays in that uh, in the deleted scene that we eventually found out about where Yoda says, you know, hey, Obi-Wan wanted to tell you, I told him not to. Um, interesting in and of itself. But uh, let, let me turn this around, though, because we're, we're talking about that fight. And this, this, is the, this is the interesting thing that I'll say before I get to the, this, this sort of like counter question thing. Um, a great topic, by the way, like because I think it's rich. And I think that 
the Obi-Wan series is one of those ones where I'm always going to grapple with it because there are always going to be things I don't like about it. And there are going to be things that it's technical storytelling issues that I'm always going to have with it because that's the type of person I am. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to come at it that. and I'm going to be like, yeah. this, this wasn't the best story choice or this beat should have gone differently. Like just the other day I was thinking about it and I was like, ah, the, the escape scene where they have like the two ships, I know how I would yes. have yeah. done that differently. Yeah. Um, but I think that the counter question I want to bring to you is, is rooted in the fact that even though I have these problems with the Obi-Wan series, the underlying premise of it is strong enough that I go back and I can, and I still think about it and I still try to, to work through story points that I liked from it. So let me pose this question to you. What if Obi-Wan had redeemed Vader, not redeemed, but made Vader repent in that moment? What does that wind up looking like? If, if Obi-Wan offers the hand to Vader and says, you're still Anakin. You can choose to come out of this. And Anakin says, you know what? You're right. This was all my fault. I have to make things right again. What does that look like? I think that's a, a an really interesting what if question because obviously, you know, that's that's something that uh, the series, I think, you know, does have in the back of his its mind almost in the sense that I don't think Obi Wan wants to have to fight Anakin again, and I think he would love to see that there was some sort of remorse in Anakin, um, because that's the character that he knew, right? That's the person that he knew. He had helped raise. He had helped train, and that obstinance in in Anakin um is you know not only disheartening but i think um uh, in many ways it it allows obi-wan to basically say in his heart anakin is dead um mhm and the good man that was your father died um and so anakin turning you know, I, I think what that would look like is that Anakin finding a way to confront the Emperor this time with Obi-Wan by his side and replaying the Dooku fight but doing it together. Here's a question, though. Wouldn't the Emperor have sensed that shift immediately? Or was the Emperor so prideful, was the dark side so strong with the Inquisitorious, with the Empire being dominant, with um, you know the, 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 the Jedi trapped in amber that are there, all of these different things going on? Could Anakin turning have flown under the radar long enough for that to happen because i i agree with you i think that it winds up being a thing where vader fakes capturing obi-wan and says i have a prisoner to take back to the emperor and they spring it on him at that moment and say we're going to take him out 
Yeah, I think it's 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 a great question that you're asking because uh, really it comes down to you know how well can Anakin Skywalker control his emotions? You know, um, you know, uh, we your feelings betray you, but they could be made to serve the Emperor, is what Obi Wan tells Luke. Right, your feelings do you credit, and so it makes me wonder. Could Anakin control his feelings enough to pull that off? And I think that's the thing that you would have to do right in the writing if that was the case, right? Uh, if you're going to try and pull this off, the, like, and I, I love the idea of you know bringing uh, you know Obi Wan in as a prisoner, uh, you know, parading him before the the Emperor. Uh, I think that's a phenomenal idea of 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 the way to play that and then it turns into this showdown um a bit like and, and i think also what's kind of gr great about this idea is it also harkens back to maul and savage mm. against the emperor mm -hmm. and but this time you know you have obi-wan who is you know it, it by the time he fought vader there he had regained all who he was, you know, and at the height of his powers again, um, and maybe even more so, um, you know, it, it feels like he has absolutely taken a step towards, uh, you know, a, a level of Jedi greatness even he didn't have in episode three, um, and maybe it's because there's a lot, it, it feels like obviously by that point of the season two, there's a lot that this character has already been through that when he's finally able to let go, um, he is more calm and, you know, everything that a Jedi is supposed to be, um, at, at peace with oneself. And so, and then you have, you would have Anakin who has fully then regained all that had been lost from him. Um, and that it, you know, he is now, more powerful than he actually was as Vader um, because of his turn. And so, I, yeah, I, I, I think I could totally see it working. You just need it to be written right so yeah. that... And, and I think, again, you can play with the idea of the Emperor being overconfident uh, in the same way that he is in Return of the Jedi and end up with the same type of storyline, right? Um, to make that work. And so, yeah, I really like all of that. And, and, I, and you know, it was interesting to watch. It was in, just fascinating to watch Return of the Jedi mm. and then think about Obi-Wan Kenobi, the series, and have something there click in my brain that, like, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you were 100% right. We just kind of transfer the idea that all of our knowledge of Star Wars is all the same knowledge that everybody else has in Star Wars. And that's not the case. That you know, that's not the case in history and that's not the case in storytelling and the characters that exist in in whatever story we're watching. And so um and and I think we do a disservice when we pretend like just because something happened in a previous episode or a new version of the episode that it's supposed to inform other things, that that then transfers every bit of knowledge to everything else you see next. 
one additional thing I want to hit on before we go, because this has been a great discussion. I've really enjoyed it, but I really want to end on a super controversial note. The version of Return of the Jedi that just played in the movie theaters is the 4K version. The mo- the last update that Lucas ever did, which includes a couple of, to longtime fans, controversial changes, including fellow nerd partier uh, Tristan Riddell hates Vader saying no now when he throws the Emperor over. And I have my longtime friend Joey who absolutely despises that change. He hates it so much, I think that he spits fire when he thinks about it. Now, I took my family... And my wife, obviously, were, were of similar age. She barely registered the changes that had been made. And that's because my wife is a very average moviegoer. She doesn't obsess over anything. There was one person, it was the first time they ever saw Return of the Jedi. Two of my kids, uh, and actually one of my kids, it was her first time seeing the Return of the Jedi. And two of my kids, it was their first time seeing it in a long time. Not a single one said a peep about effects not matching about they think this wasn't good this wasn't bad do you think that our you know when we talk about transference do you think that we've all been so close to return of the jedi that some people were not capable of enjoying the 4k release this most the 40th anniversary release the same way because they obsessed about the changes I mean, I'm I'm sure that that's the case, and in all honesty, I think I feel sorry for them, um, uh, because uh, you know I I believe that you know any director is the arbiter of whatever it is uh, they've created and and what the truth of that film is, right? You know, in that film, I I do think it's it's kind of um relative um you know does does steven spielberg have the right to go in and change et and take out the guns sure if that's what he wants to do does he regret it now and does he say he regrets that edition of the film and yes he does right um but it's his choice it's his movie um, and so I've always felt that way about Lucas and, you know, I, I think one of the things that always allowed me to not be angry at Lucas for what he did is that he always was very clear to the audience from the beginning that these films weren't what he wanted them to be because of limitations put on him from the very beginning. You know, he he was never coy about the fact that from episodes, you know, four through six, that they just weren't what he wanted. Um, and in some ways more than others, right? You know, Return of the Jedi has the least amount of changes in it, I think, uh, because... It's there, sort there of are, caught up between the... Yeah. Between yeah. 97 and once yeah. he tinkered a little bit more. Yeah. I, I'll I'll go ahead and say this, and this will be super controversial, and I know it'll be super controversial with some people, but I've kind of gone back and forth on the no thing. I had actually written a blog many years ago where I said it was so weird that Return of the Jedi was the only Star Wars movie up to that point that didn't have somebody shouting no in it. 
um, it was the only one of the six where somebody didn't shout no. And so when he added it, I said, uh, I used to make the joke, aha, George Lucas reads my blog. Ha ha ha. But I was amazed with how well it played in a movie theater. And what I sort of realized at that moment, and I loved seeing Return of the Jedi in the movie theater, is these changes play so well when you're in a theater setting. That's what we've lost, is that we're watching these changes in a small home environment, but if we encountered them in a big screening room or a soundstage sort of thing, and we saw them, probably the way Lucas encountered these changes was the moment where he said, yeah, that works. We see it on on our TV, and we're like, oh, I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to critique it, whereas if we had been sitting there with him in the screening room, we'd have, been, we'd have said, okay, that might not have been my first choice, but that does work, and it works well. Well, and, and I think that what you're saying there is something that it's very fascinating to see that Kathy Kennedy just came out and said that one of the things that they've realized about the Star Wars films is they need to eventize them again, make them oh, events. Yes. Yep. And and I think we would all agree with her, right? That Star Wars films were meant to be event films. They weren't meant to come out every single year. They were meant to be these things that you were, and she even talked about this, the idea your anticipation builds towards the fact that there's going to be a new film. And there is something to be said about, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder when it comes to seeing Star Wars on screen. What did we see with Return of the Jedi, right? The outpouring of people going to the theater to see it was astounding it was like number three or something or four that weekend at the box office yeah, and it was only in 500 theaters so right i think what we're seeing is is that fact right and i think you're you're 100 right you know it, there's something about the communal aspect of seeing star wars together in a theater with a bunch of different people that creates a different milieu of seeing star wars I mean, even the sequels were that way, right? Whether we liked them or not, there's something about being in the theater with people and everybody going, oh, at the same time, or, ooh, you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, you know, that there's something about that. And, and it's one of the things I think that they have also realized going back to Obi-Wan Kenobi or any of the shows that they do, they don't put them all out at one time. Right, It's a communal experience. Everybody watches it pretty much on the same day, and then for a week, everybody's talking about it on social media, right? And with their friends and with their family. Uh, and then you get to see the next week, and then you do the, you repeat the cycle again, right? It's So it, it's been interesting to kind of see them learn that lesson of, well, like, what makes Star Wars special and what makes Star Wars special is that it's not something that happens every day. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with Christmas. Do we want Christmas every day? No, because then it just turns into just another day. Funny thing, uh, and this is something I hit on, is anytime I catch one of my kids on a streaming service watching a Christmas episode of something, they hear me complain and complain because I don't want you watching Halloween. I don't want you watching Thanksgiving. I don't want you watching <laughs> Christmas during summertime because you are taking it out of the context and you are diminishing its specialness. And I'm glad that Kathleen Kennedy 
finally caught up to the rest of us this many years later. It's never too late. Just like it was never too late for Vader to change, it's never too late for for Disney and uh, current Lucasfilm to catch up to the rest of us. But if people want to catch up with you online, Matt, where can they find you? Well, uh, you can find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing Zero uh, Two. The places that I'm most active are Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, and Vero, and it's all the same name. Uh, you can also find me here on the network with a completed show called Owl Post. Did with that with Drea Coffin. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series. Over on the TFM Network, I've got a bunch of shows there. One's the 602 Club. John's a frequent guest over there. We've also got some great bonus shows that we do called Snyder Cuts, Assembling Avengers, plus some Star Wars episodes and other things that he's helped me do, as well as so many other shows. I mean, there's almost five, I think there's over 500 shows now, maybe, in that feed close to it anyway it's a lot uh, you can also find me doing literary treks about the books and the comics of star trek the orb about star trek deep space nine warp five about star trek enterprise saddle up about strange new worlds and the artificial tango all about star trek picard but john you know maybe uh people are sipping back on a little bit of uh Grandpa's Blue Milk, where can they find you? Well, you can find me practicing my controversial ways and my controversial views online as Kessel Junkie. Uh, the most fun place to have me exercise those views is on Letterboxd, actually, uh, because all you can talk about is movies. So I can't wander into dangerous territory there. And you can find me right here on the network co-hosting a show called House Lights with Darren Moser and Tristan Riddell where we have a great time talking about the works of directors. I mean, you know, hey, it's the internet. Go figure. There's a movie podcast out there. But trust me when I say we do it a little bit differently. And um, I highly encourage you because uh, to, to listen to House Lights because uh, we have a grand time. And every so often you hear me absolutely break down in laughter. Um, and it, it's, it's a lot of fun. But I, you know what? Actually... You mentioned blue milk, and I got to go pick up a new case of it. So, uh, Master Rushing, I think it's time to close these negotiations. Well, John, don't forget the Mandelmex and negotiations are closed. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.